welcome back to another episode of Between the Lines with me, Max, and Cameron. Cameron, how are you? I'm not so bad, thank you. How are you? Yes, good, thanks. Um, so, today's episode, uh, we finally got round to it, um, is going to be on Brexit and the European Union. Um, some strong opinions on this. We're going to get a brick through the window, aren't we, I think? Yes, yeah, half, halfway through recording, so if you hear a loud smash and you know what's going on. Um, so, we have a few questions and a couple of things we want to cover by ourselves. Um, so, without further ado, we'll get straight into it. So, our first question is from Dan. Thank you, Dan. Um, why did Brexit happen and does it highlight fundamental issues of the European Union? Well, that's, um, you know, quite an easy one to sum up, really, I think. Um, why did it happen? Well, you've got multiple causes, haven't you? You've got um, the Remain scaremongering um, and the Leave Lies, I suppose. Um, I, you know, if you come up to someone and say, oh, we can give you £350 million to go to uh, the NHS, you know, your average voter who is typically left-leaning uh, left would be like, that's a great idea. Um, I'm going to vote for, for, for Leave. Um, so a lot of the tactics employed by both Leave and Remain, I mean, Remain didn't make a particularly great idea, did it, by, by labelling everybody as stupid and idiots who, who, who wanted to leave the European Union, probably that didn't resonate very well with the, uh, with the, uh, the, the, the Leave uh, camp. They probably voted out of spite there, maybe some people. Yeah, um, and the, the other reason is just a simple two fingers up. You know, there's, there's many people north of, of, of Watford um, that that just felt they were being left behind, um, and that this was an opportunity to finally make the government aware that yeah we do exist, um, and as one of those myself, it, it's kind of worked because now we're sort of li we're being listened to. Um, so the, the the two main reasons are the the tactics employed by Leave and Remain. Uh, well, I forgot what they were called now. Le vote Leave and what was the other one called? Um, oh, it had a good name. It did have a good... That's how relevant it is. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. So Stronger was, in. That that's was it. it. Yes. Stronger in. Stronger in. Yeah. Uh, both of them were a bit questionable. Yeah, they, weren't, weren't, they um, weren't great, were they? Both campaigns weren't great, I think. you know, I, In terms of the reasons for why Brexit happened, it's actually quite funny. I, I did a literature review on a piece um, that actually targeted those specific questions and they came up with two specific things for and, and against. Um, against was actually largely economical and social concerns, um, so if we leave we'll struggle without the EU trade, um, socially what about workers' rights, freedom of movement, those were the two really strong ones. Um, there were other other small concerns, sort of, um, sort of local projects, things like that, which of course are important. Um, but but the lar the largest um, reasons were economic and, and social ones. Um, four, um, it's thrown around a lot, and it certainly was one of the largest reasons was immigration concerns. That was a big one. Um, Multi-level governance. Ha yes, and. When it, and just quickly touching on immigration, a lot of people seem to think it was, oh, well, we just want to ban these particular people, etc. It, it wasn't that. I think 
the reason was, and again, we're going to touch on this quite a bit, was the fact that the EU sort of enforced a certain amount of immigration and freedom of movement between the EU countries, which meant low-skilled workers were able to just freely come into the UK a lot of the time. Um, whereas, you know, sort of a skilled um, doctor from India, for, as an example, would have to go through a really gruelling process, and, and we sort of felt that, um, well, especially those that voted Leave, that those people should be a, should be able to get in and that we should be able to decide. I mean, Australia have a points-based system, which we've now actually implemented ourselves, and I think that was a lot of the, the reasoning behind sort of immigration change. Um, the other thing was sovereignty concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the EU dictates laws, dictates rules and I think a lot of people are starting to become quite infuriated by that um, and you know the sense of national identity that isn't a physical thing but it's still quite important especially especially for the British um, it's a very important thing those sort of pe- those sort of reasons were, were very important yeah and, and another one as well was the um, that, that was you know, thrown in there by the Vote Leave campaign, which was um, uh, sort of persuaded people for leave, uh, was um, the possibility of Turkey being introduced into the EU. Turkey would never have been allowed in. It's a simple fact because um, of the human rights issues that are occurring under Erdogan's presidency. It, It just wouldn't happen. Um, and I think that the main concern with Turkey being introduced into the um, into the EU, albeit wouldn't happen anyway, but the, the, the hypothesis of it actually becoming a reality uh, would open up um, more routes from the Middle East, so from rather precarious countries like Iraq, Afghanistan, people coming through Turkey would then automatically be able to have some to- sort of right to be able to come to this country. So that kind of persuaded some people, although it was just not true um, to begin with, it, it just wasn't factually true. They would never... They, Turkey's been trying to join the EU for a very long time now, they're not going to get in because of the human rights issue. It, it was quite twisted, I think, because Turkey and the EU actually are under discussion, and they have been for a while, however, those discussions, as you said, uh, um, they've been halted very much because of the human rights violations. Uh, rightly so, in, in my personal opinion, and I think in a lot of others. Um, and also, I think another thing that isn't necessarily talked about a lot is the fact that those who voted to stay in the EU said those, you know, uh, highlighted economic concerns. But those who wanted to leave, some of the reasoning was actually a, a sort of a play down of those economic concerns, and it was. You know, among other things, of course, that we've just discussed, it was very much a case of, well, I think there's going to be a load of economic problems if we leave, against, well, actually, I don't think that there are going to be as many problems as you suggest. Um, we've now left. Whether we have those problems remains to be seen. So far, you know, we're going to get yeah, into it. Yeah, so far we've not experienced it. seems okay, but of course, you know, it w- w- remains to be seen. Um, I think looking at that second part then, in terms of, highlighting fundamental issues of the European Union, I think it very much does. Um, I think we had problems with sort of the the dictation of rules and law. 
that was also very much a blanket sort of application and it was a case of well just because it works for i don't know germany how do you know it's going to work for greece you know we saw that a lot with the economic things which is why greece had so many problems and i think the uk is looking at that and looking at for example fishing laws and it's going well that works very well for spain it doesn't really work for us so why do we have to have the exact same rules? Why can't there be variation? And then, of course, when you think that, you think, well, if we weren't in the EU, we could have whatever variation we wanted. Um, and I think, as well, you had problems with decision-making, time that it takes to, to make those decisions. We've had that with the, the COVID-19 vaccine. I mean, they, they've had a lot oh, of problems, a whole which, which we're going to probably get into later on. Um, but also, I think for me fundamentally and and to make it clear none of us uh, neither of us rather were old enough to vote at the time um however i i would personally have voted to leave based on my assessment of it uh, i don't were you uh same yeah yeah and i think you know so of course you've got you've got that side but of course you know i think we both appreciate the other side as well but I think the most important thing for me was that there was nothing that the European Union was providing, especially on a political side, that any other national or international rather institution couldn't. You know, of course you've got the economic single market, that's, that's, that's obviously a great thing. Um, and I think a lot of people would argue that in a lot of cases it is a good thing. But in terms of the political side, in terms of the military side, science, etc, etc, a lot of these things are provided for by the UN, NATO, you know the um, WHO. You know, you know all the all the you know various conventions, and you sit and you think, well, why do we have to deal with a lot of the crap that comes with it when we could simply leave and just continue what we have been doing through those other institutions? In this second segment, we're uh, going to address uh, the, the deal that was reached uh, between the European Union and the United Kingdom recently at the beginning of this year. Yeah, I think that was something we really wanted to look at, especially when ta talking on an episode about Brexit and the European Union. Um, it's obviously very important to assess any deal that we come to, which we, of course we have now. Um, I think, in general, I think... A lot of people, especially those that voted leave, would say that it was largely successful. It ticks a lot of the boxes that they wanted. Those that voted remain, you know, you can't, you're never going to fully please them. But I do think if you'd, you know, told them that at this time we'd have this deal, I think a lot of them would have gone, okay, that's actually not a bad situation compared to, you know, a full, you know, no deal, hard Brexit. Um, I think in, ter in terms of economic factors it's quite good you know it's the largest trade deal ever created um, by either side um, which is great for both parties um, over 600 billion pounds worth of trade um, which is which is good and it means that you know we're getting things that we would like out of it but we're also able to keep the trade which is beneficial to both sides um, sovereignty is restored which I think a lot of those who wanted to leave were happy about um, you know, being able to dictate only to ourselves, you know, not having the EU dictating to us, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that. We're no longer under the um, authority um, of the European Court of Justice, which is very good for us. The European Commission, which I think 
most people hate anyway, regardless of whether you're illegal or main. I don't think anyone particularly likes anything that they do. Um, however, there were a couple of concerns um, over fishing. Um, the trade deal gave a lot of rights um, to European Union members over fishing in, in British waters, which you know the fishing unions weren't happy about. And even though the government came up with um, a promise to sort of you know give quite a lot of funding that's a big risk to sort of just hang on a, a promise from the government rather than something actually factually written into law and I think something that also you wanted to touch on about was the sort of the ability of the EU to sort of provide tariffs and um, initiate article 16 which would allow either side to create a hard border in Ireland it's already been done as well yeah um, Northern Ireland was always the the contentious issue when agreeing a deal um, it's the reason it took so long really um, because you, you've got Great Britain, obviously, so you've got England, Wales, Scotland, uh, which is separate on a separate island, as we know, and then you've got Ireland with Ireland and Northern Ireland. So you've got us separated by the Irish Sea. So you, oh, you've already got a border there before you even start. Um, and Northern Ireland shares a lot of its values, obviously, with uh, the Republic of Ireland. So when agreeing a deal about the fact that we didn't want a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, which I've been saying since 2016, we cannot have that, you know, the Good Friday Agreement's there, we can't sacrifice that. Now, you need to make these lunatics who are in um, Brussels aware of that fact, because, frankly, they don't care. It was a major point raised by a lot yeah. of people, even the United States it raised was, their concerns. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the, the message finally got through that, right, we can't have that, otherwise it'll kick off. Um, and... As soon as, the, I mean, the vaccine thing that happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, the time of recording, um, where, you know, basically it was the EU weren't very happy that because we'd left, everything was suddenly going well. Um, and it was, oh, we don't like that because we're not getting our order in that we ordered of the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. So we're going to invoke Article 16 and, you know, effectively create more tariffs and effectively a hard border between Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland. Um, which they managed to do one thing that nobody in history has ever done, and that was unite all parties uh, and from all over the political spectrum, uh, all ideologies in Ireland and Northern Ireland, to reach one agreement and say, no, you're wrong. Nobody has managed to get them, you know, right the way from Sinn Féin on the, the, the national, uh, the, you know, the, the, the we want to be part of Ireland side to the DUP who no one wants to stay with the, uh, the United Kingdom, all came together with one conclusion and even the Taoiseach himself, uh, the, the uh, Prime Minister of Ireland saying, now I'm sorry, European Commission, but you're wrong. Um, and, and this is it, isn't it? I mean, Northern Ireland, you kind of have to do treat it as a, as a separate entity because it's not a country. It's never been a country. It's a province. There's only three countries in the United Kingdom. There's four, well, there's three countries, one province that make up the UK. So you have to treat it differently. We have a hard border now, technically, and it depends what the EU wants to install on us, but we've got a hard border between us and the continent, but Northern Ireland doesn't solely with Ireland because they share a lot of uh, similar beliefs, similar morals, uh, and then the rest of it. And plus, it'd violate the Good, Fr Good Friday Agreement if, if you if you 
you know, start setting up some sort of a Berlin Wall kind of scenario where you've got, you know, guard towers every 50 yards all across, um, all across Ulster. It wouldn't work. Yeah, I, I think it was a questionable decision um, by the European Commission to, to enact Article 16. I think, as you say, everyone was really annoyed by that. Um, it was a silly decision, and it was simply a decision because the European Union weren't happy at their own rollout of the vaccine, and that they got they threw the toys out really. Yeah, and they? and they and they got they 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 got in out after the UK. We we were quicker, and you know the companies involved were gonna were gonna honour our order first because we were quicker, which, which of course makes sense. It's simple business. That's what you do. Um, and you, the the EU weren't happy about that. So um, the European Commission president, and everyone, of course, loves the European Commission, um, Ursula von der Leyen, which I'm hoping I'm pronouncing right, um, you know, decided in her infinite wisdom to just create a massive load of controversy problems, yeah. and problems by enacting Article, Article 16 in order, as the EU was saying, to restrict and control the export of the vaccine to the UK, which essentially translated to, we want to take your vaccines you've ordered and only give you some of it whilst keeping the rest of it for ourselves. And they started going on about this whole fair share thing. And like, you know, there have been calls to sort of give some of our vaccines to poor countries, to the EU, to help them. And I do, from some, you know, from some point of view, you understand where they're coming from. Okay, we should all be in this together. On the other hand, especially when it comes to the European Union, they treated us like crap when it came to the Brexit process. They were very quick to want to use us as an example and to try and punish us with the deal. So why on earth should we now turn round and just help them immediately, especially now after they just decided that because the negotiation wasn't working, they were just going to you know, basically abuse an article of the Brexit agreement and just try and create a hard water and essentially take all of our vaccines that we've ordered. I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that this deal's created that are all really sort of like minute things that if you don't do everything, it just completely messes the process up. And there's two of these. Somebody or uh, was trying to import fish from from uh, sorry export fish from the UK to the EU, um, and instead of putting GB as its origin. Uh, put UK on one piece of the document out of how many pages it was. When it went to the um, the customs in the EU, they sent it straight back and said, uh, you've not put GB. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Uh, it, uh, everybody knows GB, okay, GB being Great Britain, i.e. it's come from either England, Wales or Scotland. But in a trade term it is solely the UK so it could have come from any four areas um, and that's just an example of being nitpicky with them and the other one is the ham sandwich debate where uh, now the EU thinks that oh hang on a minute the UK still has all the same regulations the same standards that we had yesterday when we left but hang on a minute some guy uh, and his wife's prepared him some ham sandwiches. Get, turns up to the Dutch border at uh, 
the hooker Holland from Hull turns up there to uh, give all the passport and the documents over, and the uh, the border uh, the customs uh, gentleman says, um, oh, "You'll have to get rid of that because uh, it's it's importing meat. You can't do that because you're a third country." Yeah, but it's. It's you know it probably could it, it, I bet it actually originated originally from the European Union. It probably. wouldn't surprise me because a lot of it is, and it, it's just evidence of just nitpicking, just to simply uh, irritate us, and that's that's all they're doing. I think it all calmed down in about you know five years when when everything gets into the use and the flow of it. But at the minute, it's all just nitpicking and 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 going oh you've not you've uh, you've ticked the wrong box there. You you've got to do it all again. That'll calm down, and it, it yeah, it just it, it infuriates me. It's just this, like you say, this example of wanting to be, make an example out of the UK, so that the whole everybody else doesn't go. Oh, actually, it's not actually that bad. We're going to think of leaving, so the EU gets its its mallet out and you know sort of whack a mole strategy, isn't it? it? Doesn't want anybody to leave. Okay, so our final segment is based on another question. Um, and this question is from Alex. Thank you, Alex. Um, and he simply asks, is this the beginning of the end for the European Union? So, do you have any... any Personally, support? I don't think it is yet. No, that's key. Um, I, I, I don't think it is yet because I don't think there's enough movement in other countries. Now, uh, the, you know, the, the, there is sort of like a movement in France... But it's not. It's not. It's not big enough. It's. It's just. There's not got a big enough following, and it, people aren't particularly interested with it yet. And I don't think Germany's got a big movement for it either. Um, and I think it will be the beginning of the end of the EU if either France or Germany leaves. If one of those leaves, that's it. It. It, it has to go because those two are now propping up the European Union's economy. Uh, because somebody thought it was a good idea to have this, you know, the same currency across a lot of countries, and obviously that doesn't work. Um, and it, I think with us leaving, a lot of people have now realised, ah, it isn't actually that bad. Because we were the first to go, a lot of people in a lot of countries across the 27 now were thinking, oh, well, we don't, we don't want to leave because we don't know what will happen. Well, now they know what will happen. Because yeah. they've, out, they've got an example, well, they did this with Britain. And they won't be as harsh when more leave. Now, when the second leaves, that's when it you got that snowball effect then. Because I'm telling you now, we, we're the first to leave. We won't be the last. No. And I don't think it will happen any time within the next, you know, anytime soon within the next sort of five years. I don't think, it, I don't, I don't think anything will happen. But I think when one of the big economies goes, France or Germany... When one of those goes, especially Germany, because the uh, European Central Bank is based there, it, something will fall. That'll be, the, that'll be the piece that breaks it. But see, the thing, well, it's funny, because I agree with some, but I actually disagree with some of what you said. I mean, I would argue that the UK is a big economy, and now that they've left, that could arguably see the end. I think, I, I do agree that it won't be soon. I would say, I, I mean, I know Nigel Farage, I mean, you know, he's like on the European Union. Um... However, his opinion was 10 years. Um, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that Nifaz says, but actually, I think that's not a bad assessment. I think 10 years, we could potentially see it. I think this for a couple of reasons. I think, you know, the, the, the movements in Germany and France, as examples, who want to leave the European Union aren't quite big enough. 
uh, I think you're absolutely right there. However, it's quite clear that Germany and France don't want to pick up the slack um, economically, military, politically, um, that, that the UK has left behind. Um, and I think there's already Euroscepticism. And, and Brexit has arguably only amplified this. And I think a lot of other countries, they're unhappy with the EU Commission's treatment of Britain. And actually, there's been a lot of talk from various MEPs um, in the, the European Union who have said that they weren't happy with the way that we treated... Uh, they're like, oh, we're not happy with the way that we've treated Britain. You know, they've been a long-standing partner. We should be working with them, not against them, for the benefit of the EU because, you know, isolating us, let's be honest, what everyone knew, just cutting us off wouldn't have helped the EU, um, as well as obviously not helping us. Um, and there wasn't a prioritisation of sort of helping the EU and instead a prioritisation of just sticking it to, to Britain to sort of set an example, um, which of course they weren't happy with. And, and we've seen a number of countries that this has only amplified uh, issues and Euroscepticism within, um, along with various other problems with the EU that we've mentioned. Um, and these are countries actually including um, Poland, Italy, Denmark and Greece. And those four, even though we, we've just spoken about France and Germany, those four, Poland, Italy, Denmark and Greece, are the four that are closest, allegedly. Um, and they're considering their own form of Brexit. Um, and it's quite funny, because I, I just wanted, to, on a lighter note, wanted to mention um, the fact that ever since Brexit started, we've had some funny sort of names being mentioned for, for various um, versions of Brexit in different countries. So I, I just wanted to take this moment just to, just to highlight a few, which I thought were quite funny. So we've got um, Quitterly uh, for Italy, Abortugal for Portugal, Withdrawsaw, Never mind, let me out for Latvia, um, finished, Noatia, and Espanope, uh, which I thought were quite funny. I mean, I don't know how many of those, I mean, I think Quitterly would probably make it onto the news, but I don't think let me out would, no, uh, would yeah, potentially quite, make quite it onto the news. <laughs> I think the key thing here as well is going back to specifically France, they have a presidential election coming up. Yes. Now, the candidates, the likely candidates here, are the same as they were before. Okay, so you, you've got Emmanuel Macron, who is not entirely popular at the minute. No. Uh, he's annoyed a lot of people in France, as, um, you know, the, 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 the riots and the Gilets jaunes protests all... all Highlight. Although knowing the um, French, it's not really that difficult. Yeah, to be fair, it's not really that. It's not really that much different from what it is normally. But um, and then you've got Marine Le Pen. Yes. And I think she's if, the Brexiteer, isn't she? If yeah, if Marine Le Pen wins the presidential um, election in France, and it's a big if because the French aren't particularly right-leaning people. Um, if she wins the presidential election. The following four France leaving the European Union will go up tenfold. Yeah. And that's because she's a massive anti-EU uh, feelings. Uh, if 
she becomes in a position where she's able to um, voice her concern on a, on a platform as the French president, more people will go, yeah, I like what she's saying. Absolutely. Because, ah, I've not thought of that before. Because it's never really, it's a bit taboo in France, isn't it? It's a bit taboo in Germany. And I think, again, Germany, yes, you've got Angela Merkel in at the minute. You've got somebody, I can't remember his name. You've got somebody else coming in to take over her shortly of the CDU uh, party. And, but you've got all these alt-right, alt, alt as they call them, uh, like Alternative für Deutschland, uh, for example, and all these are coming in, these little right-wing parties that are anti-EU. And they're growing um, in popularity. Yeah, and, and again, you, know, you look at the European Union, what are the countries that get the most out of it currently? France, Germany, Br uh, Belgium, and arguably to an extent Luxembourg. What's the rationality behind this? They all have institutions, EU institutions in their countries. Yeah. That's the, you know, if you talk to somebody from Portugal, what do you get out of the EU? Uh, well, it, it kind of props our economy up a little bit, but apart from that, nothing much. France, what does France get out of it? It gets what, what's, what's referred to as the travelling circus, isn't it? From Brussels to Strasbourg, where they sit for the European Parliament. I mean, they've got other institutions there as well. Germany's got the bank, Brussels has got the, uh, the, the Commission and the Parliament. So they all get a massive kick out of the EU. So they're the least likely to go. But these, like you say, these these outliers that are that are on edge at the minute. I mean, Italy. Look at the state of the politics. Uh, the politics in Italy at the minute. They, 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 I don't think they've ever agreed on anything uh, because they're constantly in coalition governments. And Denmark, the Netherlands, they're all they're all looking at this. Ah, That's I the don't thing. think we want to be part of this club anymore. And it's funny you say that because, of course, Italy and Denmark are two of the people. Are, uh, two of the uh, countries rather that I, I mentioned earlier and I think I if I was to make a prediction and it's quite a you know it's quite a brave thing to do especially in politics if I was to make a prediction I would say in the next five years two countries will have started the process to leave that's my opinion on I, it. I think they won't I be big countries it will be sort of Italy Denmark Greece Poland the four I mentioned tonight. it won't be Germany or France but I reckon two member I, states. I would predict, if, if we were saying we're going with two countries here, I would predict Denmark and the Netherlands. I wouldn't predict Italy because of its politics, because uh, the government can't agree on anything. I mean, I mean, they have a government that is made up of, like, four parties. That is true. It just wouldn't happen. Denmark is, is more, as we say, stable government. Obviously, Italy has a stable government, but it's got a majority government. It's, Netherlands has as well. They'll all push with the deal, but I mean, you need the agreement of four parties in Italy because they can't come to an agreement. So I, I would predict Netherlands and or Denmark. So that was the uh, good old debate on Brexit that I'm sure we're all you know familiar with and uh, you know quite enjoy a bit of it. Gets people riled up, doesn't it? So I hope it has got you riled up. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, what your opinions are, so please do share them with us. Yes, yeah, it was certainly a contentious issue. It has been for the last sort of four or five years. Um, I don't think when David Cameron called that referendum, I don't think he ever would have expected no, that the, no. he was the, too cor with it. the, the course it, yeah. of events of where we are now. But um, I think, you know, regardless of people's positions, I think 
everyone is just happy that we've put it past us, um, especially after the events of 2020 with COVID as well. You know, to have something like Brexit out of the way means 2021, we're trying to move on uh, with bigger and better things, especially as, as the United Kingdom. I think, you know, to, to summarise, I think in terms of the position we're at at the moment, I think Brexit was a bit of, you know, a farce in some cases. But so far, we seem to have done okay. I think we've come up with some trade deals, we've got the trade deal with the EU, we've got um, various single markets, um, the, the names escape me, but the one involving sort of Australia, Canada, yeah, CP, CPTPP, yeah, yeah, Confederation of Trans-Pacific, yeah, it's a really long yeah. name, um, that one, um, you know, and you've got um, CANS UK, which is another sort of um, movement, um, which involves sort of Canada, New Zealand, etc, that we're sort of going to initiate trade with um which is which is good and i think you know other trade deals with with japan we we will hopefully find ourselves you know well to pull it from a, a sort of remainers point of view back on our feet because of course they very much predicted that we'd find ourselves knocked out on the canvas you know quite quickly and it almost seems like we're we're reaching new heights already yeah, time will tell, won't it? Time will tell. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you very much for listening. Um, again, as Cameron just mentioned, we hope you enjoyed the debate. Um, I'm sure you all have your own opinions, which we'd love to hear on our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so please do check that out. Um, and we shall speak to you soon. See you soon.